2: Your perfect home, sweet home. These are challenging times,
3: but you don't have to navigate them alone. Welcome to How Can I Help? I'm Dr. Gail Saltz. I'm a clinical associate professor of psychiatry at the New York Presbyterian Hospital, a psychoanalyst, and best-selling author. And I'm here every week to answer your most pressing questions... Hopefully, with understanding, insight, and advice. The institution of marriage predates recorded history. For most millennia, marriage has been governed by something quite basic a need to procreate, to ensure a man that a child born from his union with a woman was genetically and legally his. Entering into an exclusive relationship. Guaranteed this fact. So access to women was institutionalized. With each civilization, the institution of marriage has taken on new or different traditions. In ancient Rome or Greece, a woman whose father dies without male heirs could be forced to marry her nearest male relative, even if she has to divorce her husband first. Also, Same-sex unions were celebrated. Marriages during the Middle Ages were arranged, sometimes as early as birth. Marriage was used to ensure treaties between different royal families, nobles, and heirs of fiefdoms. 16th century marriages became a dual requirement of the state and, for the first time, the church. In the United States, miscegenation laws, first introduced in the late 17th century in the slaveholding colonies of Virginia in 1691 and in Maryland in 1692, lasted until 1967. In 1996, the Defense of Marriage Act explicitly defined marriage for the purposes of federal law as between a man and a woman. And of course, today, we know that marriage is defined between two people who love each other, a man and a woman, or people of the same sex, depending on where you're living. With centuries of regulation and interference by the state and church, is there any wonder why marriage continues to be challenging today? For example, couples marrying for the first time as recently as this past decade, have had approximately a 50% chance of divorcing. Since about 2011 or 12, divorce rates have slowly dropped and they are now at a lower rate than they have been in almost the last 50 years. But the rate at which people are marrying to begin with has also dropped. Recent studies have shown that millennials are choosing to wait longer to get married and staying married longer. And this is the main driver in the decline of both marriage and divorce rates in the United States. Americans' so called marriage divide is actually only widening. College educated and economically better off Americans are more likely to marry and stay married. But working class and poor Americans face more family instability and higher levels of singleness. For Americans in the top third income bracket, 64% are in an intact marriage, meaning they have only married once and are still in their first marriage. In contrast, only 24% of Americans in the lower third income bracket are in an intact marriage. Economics influences who gets married, who stays married, and even the stability of the marriage itself. Those who stay married have a distinct economic advantage over those who don't, and divorce costs the household money as much as 60% for each person putting both separated people at an economic disadvantage. In today's economy, this marriage gap is aligned with an economic gap. In 1960, two-thirds, or 68%, of all 20-somethings were married. But in 2008, just 28% were married. Different cultural and racial groups have different influences on marriage statistics. In his book, Is Marriage for White People? Stanford Law professor Ralph Richard Banks shows why 70% of African-American women are unmarried. Yet despite these growing uncertainties, in many surveys, Americans are more upbeat about the future of marriage and family, 67% saying they are optimistic, than about the future of the country's educational system, in which only 50% say they feel optimistic, and more optimistic than its economic system, 46% saying they're optimistic, or its morals and ethics, and only 41% saying they feel optimistic about that. So with that, right after the break, we'll get to my listeners' questions.
2: by visiting musicgives.org.
3: Welcome back. Let's get to my listener's question and see, how can I help? Dear Dr. Saltz, I am 32 and not married. I would like to have children, and I would like to get married. But I have not met the right person yet. I am currently seeing someone who is a nice guy, but unfortunately, I don't feel crazy about him. He is just fine and okay, but I'm not feeling like he's the one for me. He, on the other hand, has expressed he really likes me. Actually, he's expressed he even loves me. I feel like my clock is ticking and I'm torn and I'm wondering if I should really just settle for this man to marry and have a family with? How can I decide the best thing to do for myself in this circumstance? Generally speaking, just settling for someone, anyone, in order to get married and have children doesn't bode well for the longevity of the marriage. And while I certainly understand the desire to find a life partner for marriage and the desire to have a partner to have children with, the end of a marriage is really very gut wrenching for both people, you, your partner, and for any children you may have. Heading into a marriage, there is not a guarantee, even when you do feel crazy about your partner. There are some non sexy things that are important in thinking about the longevity of a partnership. There are things like Do you two have similar enough values, similar enough morals? Are you, in fact, compatible when it comes to big life decisions like your basic life goals, how you spend and how you save those styles, how to raise children, even about religious issues? Also, in there, do you actually really respect each other? And do you actually really like each other? Are you sexually attracted to each other? For the most part, these things add up to really loving each other, which is not the same as lusting or what you're describing more of a roommate or friendship only relationship. It's not to say that someone can't make the decision to marry and raise children with someone they feel purely platonic toward. But this does mean giving up something in a life partnership, something many people find matters to them in the long run, a sexual element. But in order to do something like this, both parties really need to be honest with each other and themselves that this is in fact what they are doing. When it is one-sided, eventually, resentment will build and the relationship will deteriorate. So the question back to you is, is there something about this current relationship that makes it just okay? Could you work to deepen the intimacy and feel more connected and excited about this man? To do this, you need to have a host of more vulnerable and open and honest conversations about all the things that matter to you and see where you both fall out on these various issues. Closeness and affinity may provide more growth of closeness or more distance over time. But, whichever way it goes, it could answer your question on this particular man. You bring up the anxiety of your biological clock ticking, and It's understandable as many women start to feel this as they move through their 30s without a partner. I would suggest to you that it is not unreasonable to consider egg harvesting as a mode of keeping the door open for you to have a baby later and take the pressure off of marrying anyone due to your clock. Today, eggs can be frozen with the same stability as embryos, which means You can do this on your own, and then at some point, if you feel you've met Mr. Wright, you can do IVF with him to have a baby. Or, if you don't marry, you should also consider that it's possible, and frankly, very reasonable, to just have a baby on your own, if that's very important to you. Sperm donation makes it possible to have your own child when you want to when the time is right for you. Children of single parents who can afford to do this do very well in life and likely better than growing up in a tumultuous and full of discord bad marriage. Freezing eggs and IVF, however, do cost money, so it is a matter, actually, of what you can afford. You also, can decide to simply get a sperm donor to help you become pregnant without egg freezing if you want to do this in the next few years and not feel that marriage is a prerequisite to becoming a parent. But really, at age 32, you do have years before you need to panic about your eggs at all. Marriage is a big decision, not one to wander into with meh feelings about your partner. Marriage is hard. There will be tough times, challenges, and starting from a point of feeling lukewarm at best can make it very difficult to get through those tough times. I would suggest you try really rocking the boat now. Rock it in the direction of finding out more if there can be a there there with this guy. Often, lukewarm feelings come from there being more emotional distance or disconnect than would create real intimacy. If you push for more and nothing more develops, this may not be your person. If there is no sexual attraction, it's not likely to grow a whole lot better after marriage. If you keep feeling like two ships passing in the night, you really may be sparing both of you a good deal of pain down the road by letting him find someone who is crazy about him and you by giving yourself the chance to find real love. I hope that was helpful. There are several crucial ideas to keep in mind that help couples have happier marriages. Not surprisingly, at the top of the list is communication skills. Those in happy marriages often report feeling understood by their partners and find it easier to share their feelings with one another, especially when their partner doesn't use put-downs. Partners in happy marriages are six times more likely than others to agree that they are satisfied with how they talk to one another. Happy couples report that they feel understood by their partners and can share their feelings, especially during a disagreement. Listening is crucial to a happy marriage, since it's more about trying to understand one another instead of spending energy on judging one another. And conflicts, when handled in a healthy way, can benefit a relationship and help couples come to a resolution. A vast majority of happy couples feel that they are creative when handling differences between one another. Because conflict is inevitable in human relationships. There will always be differences between people, sometimes leading to disagreements. But most happy couples feel their conflicts get resolved and disagreements are less about placing blame and more about finding common ground. And as a result, similar conflict resolution skills are of the utmost importance in a strong and happy relationship. Next up is couple flexibility. Flexibility refers to how often couples are able to change. Flexibility helps couples to manage the daily stressors that come along and maintain an openness to changing regardless of what they're used to in their cultural norms. Partners in a happy relationship are willing to move away from more traditional roles and adjust as needed when it comes to things like running errands, completing household chores, and cooking. Couples are happier and more satisfied when household chores are divided between the two partners, and they report that they aren't as concerned about who is doing more of the share of the daily tasks, but instead work to maintain an equal relationship. And then there is closeness. You feel close to your partner when you are emotionally connected to them. Closeness also includes a balance of together time and separate time. Happy couples who feel emotionally connected are open to asking for help from one another and do enjoy spending time with one another and in choosing a partner, happy couples tend to have compatible personalities. They report having personalities that complement one another. They build on each other's strengths and address differences creatively to work together for the best interest of the marriage. When couples share goals for the relationship and not just their individual selves, they do tend to forge a stronger bond. Do you have a problem I can help with? If so, email me at how at SenecaWomen.com. All centers remain anonymous. And listen every Friday to How Can I Help? with me, Dr. Gail Saltz.
1: Whether you are a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks.